When two roads diverge, how do you know which one to take? We started with this poem by Robert Frost, and it launches us into an eight-week series in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read the first paragraph together. And we'll spend our time this morning looking at the setup of this book in 1 John 1, 1 through 2, 14. The Apostle John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into our series. Father, it's rare that we feel like we find ourselves at some sort of literal crossroads in our faith. And yet, I think for many of us, we realize that there are so many pathways advocated for us all the time. And sometimes we don't know which one to go down. We've got people in our lives and people at work and people in our families all telling us different things about religion and faith and Jesus and where our church adds up or when our lives don't add up. And sometimes we just get tired and we do want to just plop down in the middle of the road and just rest a while. We pray that you would Reveal to us what, what you have for each of us in this book, in this series, and even in this day today. And pray that you would help us to learn how to navigate life in a way that is pleasing to you and where we have confidence to know that we are walking with you. Pray for anyone this morning who is far from you, that you'd make that known to them and that you'd make an invitation plain to them to step into life, onto the path that leads to life, that they'd find confidence in a relationship with Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Little known fact about me, I am an Eagle Scout. We have any Eagle Scouts out there? All right, all right. It's not really on my resume. I guess I don't really need a resume. Uh, got this job. I, what's the Girl Scout version of Eagle Scout? Sea Scouts are also boys. Cadets? I got different answers in every service. You should find out. You should become one because it's a great thing. The best thing about being an Eagle Scout is I've got a ton of stories about being lost in the woods. Uh, one of my favorites, we were probably about 16 years old, and we decided to take this class called Wilderness Survival. You know, we're kind of naive. We thought that a class on Wilderness Survival would be a classroom experience where we would learn about how to fight a bear and win, right? how to I don't know, turn a stick into a gun, whatever it was, and survive the elements. And yet the classroom portion of this class was very small. It was a piece of paper. And they gave us a piece of paper with seven priorities on it. They said, if you're lost in the woods, memorize this. First aid, shelter, fire, signal, water, food. First aid, shelter, fire, signal, water, food. That's six. Uh, there might be a seventh out there somewhere. So we memorized these seven priori six priorities. And they said, okay, give us the paper back and jump in the truck, right? Uh, we're gonna take you out to the wilderness, we're gonna see if you can survive. 
And so my friends and I said, well, hold on, let us pack. And they said, okay, we'll give you a chance to go back to your cabins, but you can't pack a suitcase. You just have to come as if you're going on a day hike, and then you're going to have to spend the night and see if you could survive the elements. And so we go back to our cabin. We, we all do different things, right? I'm a rule follower, so I just hike like I would normally hike for a, a dress for a hike. I get the canteen. I get the clothes. I get the hiking boots, right? I remember this other guy showed back up at the trailhead with a giant parka, and he kind of looked like, was it Ralphie from Christmas Story? We're just kind of standing there trying to stay warm. And I have this distinct memory of the counselor coming behind him with a stick and hitting him. And all these Snickers bars just falling out of his parka. I said, like, you cannot bring food. You cannot. You're going on a hike in the woods. And so they load us up. They take us out into the back country. And I don't think you can do this with kids anymore, but they just kind of left. I said, we'll see you sometime tomorrow. Good luck. They didn't tell us about the snakes, but I'm sure there were snakes. One of the quick lessons that I learned was that in times where there are matters of great importance, a lot of people have great opinions about the best way to navigate the situation. And sure enough, every single person in our group had an opinion, a different opinion on what we should spend our time doing before the sun went down. I had one guy who was geeking out on the idea of building the world's best shelter. He said, look at the list. First aid, shelter. Let's get a shelter. Let's not worry about anything else. We can survive without food for 24 hours. Let's just get a warm place or we're going to freeze to death. Right? The next guy says, ah, who cares about a shelter? Let's, yeah, we need one in case it rains, but we got to get a fire going. And if we can get a fire going, we'll stay warm. We'll survive. We'll be okay. A third guy says, you know what? Shelter, fine. Fire, maybe. We need some food. Let's go forage for berries. That's our best bet, right? I'm like, maybe. I, Half of them are poisoned. We didn't get that handout, right? And so I was left with this decision, which voice to listen to? Do I go with a guy and spend the rest of the afternoon building a shelter? Do I go with a guy who's got the really giant battery that he smuggled in that he could like light fires with with steel wool? That's a cool thing. Try that one at home. Uh, Do I go with a guy who just wants to go forage for berries, right? Which opinion should I listen to? Because how I spend the next three or four hours is going to discern how well my night goes when the Mountain air gets cold and the sun goes down and the snakes come out. If it's true that in matters of great importance, people tend to have great opinions, there is no place where people have greater opinions than in issues of faith and religion and how to live life on this planet in relation to God. Have you noticed that? Everyone in our life has an opinion on how you should best navigate your faith. Some of us live in homes with people who are very dogmatic about certain religious perspectives. And we don't know if we disagree with them. We don't know if we agree with them. We have no idea where we stand on these things, but we always feel stupid when they talk because we have no idea what we're talking about. And and they make us feel like we're missing something in our relationship with Jesus because we don't see the Bible the same way that they do. And some of us have people at work like that. I think it's crazy that we come to church It's crazy that we claim that Jesus is real. They've got a different perspective on who Jesus is, and they seem to back it up with a lot of historical evidence and research. They read more about the Bible than you do. I wonder, is there something to what they're saying? Have I missed something? You know, sometimes we pick up books that start to condemn the way that we we do church or we relate with Jesus, and it seems like everyone in the world has a stronger understanding of what it means to follow God than, than you do. You know, sometimes we look at people in our life that have different religions and it seems to be working for them. They're happy. They're, they seem to know what they're talking about and yet 
The God that they follow is way different than the God that we follow. The church they go to is way different than the church we go to, and they seem so sure about it. Sometimes we are left wondering, do I really believe the right thing? Am I on the right path? If there's two roads in the forest that I can walk down, am I on what Jesus describes the narrow road that leads to life, or did I miss that somewhere? The book of 1 John is written to an audience that's struggling with a lot of questions like this. John was the pastor who founded the church and the the community of churches that 1 John is written to. These are his churches. These are his people. He led them to Christ. He taught them about Jesus. He he explained to them the gospel. He got them started in their faith. And and yet as they started to mature in their faith, they started hearing other voices and other opinions from other people who started to infiltrate the church and come in and say, listen, John doesn't know everything about the gospel. John doesn't know exactly what he's talking about when it comes to Jesus. Consider this. Consider that. Maybe he's wrong on this. Maybe he missed a point. Maybe Jesus isn't what John says. Maybe Jesus was this or that or X or Y or Z. Maybe God doesn't care about how you live life on this planet. Maybe God just cares about the spiritual part of you. And let me tell you how to cultivate the spiritual part of you. Maybe Jesus wasn't God in human flesh and all that. Maybe he was a spiritual being and he understood the spirit in a way that you can too if you follow me. And these people started hearing all these different voices advocating for all these different channels of what it means to truly follow after God on this planet. And they started spinning and getting confused. And John writes this book and and quickly asserts, listen, my, my opinion for you is not just my opinion. I'm trying to be a voice that you can trust. In verse one of this book, he, he comes out and says, let me tell you the content of where I'm coming from when I tell you about Jesus. He says, I'm proclaiming to you that which we, the apostles, have heard. That which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Just as I'm not making up what I taught you, the, the things I taught you about Jesus, I was there. Well, when I tell you about the feeding of the 5,000, I touched the bread. When I tell you about the holes in his wrist, I touched it myself. I smelled his breath after he resurrected. I saw him with my own eyes. I'm not making this up. I'm a trustworthy source. To these people, John was just one source, one voice, one opinion about who Jesus was. So if that church was experiencing maybe what what some of us have experienced, when we've got all these voices coming at us, they were wrestling with questions like, am I I really a Christian? Do I really believe truthfully about God? Am Am I on the right path? Does God really love me? Does he know me? Or am I gonna stand before him someday? And he says, Who are you? And John says, my writing is not to condemn you, it's an invitation. In verse three, he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm part of a community that knows God. I know Jesus, I saw Jesus. And I wanna invite you in. Mine is a voice that you can trust. And over these next eight weeks, we're going to start talking about how how we can discern which voices to trust and how we can get to a place where we live lives of confidence, knowing that we truly believe the right thing and are headed on the right path.
In John's Gospel, which, which is the longer book earlier in the New Testament, in chapter 3, he, he tells a story about a time that Jesus met with a man named Nicodemus. Uh, you might know John 3.16, for God so loved the world he gave his only son. That's in John 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And John tells us that Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Pharisee. He was opposed to the teachings of Jesus by trade, in a sense, and his community thought Jesus was crazy, and yet Nicodemus had something inside of him that was telling him that Jesus' voice was a voice that might be worth listening to. So John says that Nicodemus went to Jesus at night to ask him some questions. A lot of theologians start wrestling with, why does he bring out that he went at night? Who cares what time of day it was? You know, was it because he was scared that his friends would see him? Is it because Jesus only took appointments at night? Is it because it was cooler at night? Why at night? Why at night? And one thing that you'll notice if you study the, the book of John and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John is John loves to use you know, the illustration of light and darkness to set a scene of someone's understanding of things of faith. Right? Like, so like in, in our world, if if you watch a documentary on something that you've never seen before and now you get it for the first time, you might say, it was very illuminating, right? A light turned on for me. I was in the light. If you walk into a conversation and your friends are talking about politics and you have no idea what they're talking about, you say, sorry guys, I'm in the dark when it comes to politics. That means I have no idea what you're talking about. My vision is clouded. I can't see this. And when John uses light and dark, he's always talking it in this lens. That's why when Nicodemus goes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, we can see that you're a prophet from God. And Jesus comes back at Nicodemus and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus says, oh yeah, I'm in the light, I can see. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not, you are blind. John uses light and darkness to talk about someone's spiritual state. And so here in 1 John he starts out this letter using the same imagery about people who understand the gospel and people who don't. He says in verse 5, This is the message that we heard from Jesus and gave to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. A lot of times we read this passage and we think that what he's really saying is that God is perfect. God is sinless. In him there's no sin, imperfection at all. If any of us claim we know Jesus but we live in sin, we're lying. We don't practice the truth. And that's true. He actually says that a paragraph later. But where he's starting out here is not about sin and righteousness. He's talking about knowledge and deception. He's saying God is truth. God is knowledge. God is light. God is illuminated. There's no impurity in God. There's no deception in God. There's no deceit in God. There's no, there's no secret knowledge that God has that he will not give to you in that sense. God is in inapproachable, pure, beautiful light. In him there is no darkness. He doesn't change. He doesn't lie to you. He doesn't hide his being. And so he says, if, if you claim that you know him, But you don't get it. But your eyes are clouded. But you're really in the dark. You don't really believe in the true gospel. You don't really believe in the real God. If, you, if your vision is cloudy about things of God and you claim you're a Christian, he says, you're lying. You don't really know the truth. Now, for me, the whole catalyst of this series was that word, if we claim. Because it scares me a little bit. It's like John is trying to draw out that there are people in this world, maybe people in this room, who claim to be Christians, who claim, oh yeah, I know Jesus. 
I follow Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. I get spiritual things. But when they're saying that, they're lying because they don't really get it. They're actually still in the dark. I think if you're in a place in your life where, where you feel like everyone seems to get spiritual things except for me, there's a chance you're still in the dark. There's a chance you don't actually know God. There's a chance he hasn't turned the spiritual lights on for you, and that's why you feel that way. I think it's important for us to wrestle with it. Even as we start this series, do I, do I really know God? And at the same time, John's writing in this chapter and throughout this whole book is, is not to condemn people. John is writing these things to invite people into his community and find truth and find life and, and find truth there. He says, if you claim you know God, but you live in darkness, you're lying. But he says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The book of 1 John is written to invite folks like us into the fellowship with the apostles, under the teaching of the apostles, in the community of faith, to join the people who, who know who Jesus is and they follow him together. Now, the invitation for you, if you're someone who claims to know God, but you're feeling like, I'm not sure if I get it, I'm so confused, John's saying, well, I'm a voice you can listen to, follow me. I know there's a thousand voices out there, listen to mine. I'm trustworthy, I was there, I saw it. Don't listen to these crazy people. Listen to me, read the word, listen to me. And so the choice that we have in front of us is in times of confusion, which voice are we going to listen to? Uh, my buddies and I went hiking one time with Boy Scouts, and we were up at this place called Pinnacles National Monument. It was a great hike. We did like seven miles up through all these switchbacks, and we ended up at this place where there's all these, they call it pinnacles for a reason, all these big like pinnacles of rocks kind of going up into the heavens. And when you're 16 years old, 17 years old, all you can see is potential for rock climbing, right? And Sissies use ropes, right? We don't need ropes. Uh, we're, we're just going to scramble up. We don't need training. That's for sissies too, right? We're just going to scramble up these giant rocks way up into the air. And so sure enough, like we start climbing and we're going and we're trucking up these things. We make it all the way to the top of one of these spires. And we're sitting there for hours. We eat our lunch up there. We're like throwing these little pebbles off. And we're kind of nerds, right? Because we're in Boy Scouts. And so we've got this... Uh, Stop, it wasn't actually a stop, yeah, it was a stopwatch back in the day. Stopwatch, and we'd time how long it took for the rock to hit the ground. And we'd say, okay, well, this is the acceleration due to gravity, so how high are we? We're like, we're like 60, 70 feet off the ground. This is crazy, right? If I jumped off here, I'd die right now. And then we realized we got to climb down off this rock. <laughs> and if we fall off here, we're going to die right now. now the one thing, if you don't know anything about rock climbing, it's a lot easier to go up than go down. And ropes are great when you're falling. Uh, <laughs> and so it kind of, as we looked down, it was a beautiful view of the sunset and a beautiful reminder that if we didn't get off there soon, we were going to live up on top of this rock. And so we just started, it was like, kind of like when you turn a light on cockroaches, we all just scattered over different sides of this thing to try to find our own path to get back to the bottom. So my buddy Josh just finds a way, shoom, he's at the bottom. My buddy Eric, like, boom, 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 finds his way to the bottom, right? I chose the wrong path. And so I make it down like halfway and I find this, this ledge and I'm standing on this ledge holding on these rocks and I'm in a safe place. Like I see the sun going down, it's beautiful. And yet I, I can't discern any other way down. I kind of slid a little bit so I can't really jump up and move up. 
as the sun goes down, the contrast is kind of changing. I don't see any handholds to the right or to the left. And I kind of come up to this place with a sober realization that this is, this is probably where I'm going to die. You know? <laughs> my, friends, my friends have great advice, right? Jump, jump, jump. It's 30 feet, right? They're like throwing rocks up, timing it. 25 feet maybe, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, I probably need to jump at some point. I'm probably going to break my legs. I'm going to get a cast, right? I'm young. Six weeks in, I'm back on my feet again. Like, that's my best bet. And then I had this thought, right? I was a new Christian. I'm like, I'm going to pray, right? Maybe God will do something. And so I, I don't know if I closed my eyes. That'd be terrifying. But I prayed, hey, God, here I am. Uh, help. And no sooner did I pray that than this voice from the heavens, or it wasn't God's voice unless God is Scottish, <laughs> as this man like peers over the, the top of this thing, he's like, you need some help, son? I won't do the Scottish accent because I feel like I'd be terrible and that's probably racist. You need some help, son? He might have called me laddie. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, for sure. He's like, you want a rope? Like, absolutely I do, right? And he lowers down this rope, right? And my friends are down there like, where did this guy come from? We were just up there. And he lowers down this rope that has like these two loops that he had tied in it. He's like, hey, put your feet in these holes. Okay, right? So I'm gonna trust this guy's rope. It's not sure, right? So I like weave my legs into these like little harness that he built. And he's like, all right, now lean back. So I'm like leaning back. It's like, now just step backwards. The first step is the scariest. You've ever been repelling me for, right? I'm like, what's it tied to? I was just up there. There was not that guy wasn't even up there. <laughs> and so I'm like stepping back, and he's like, right? I don't, didn't make that sound, but. Uh, and I'm just like, uh, get to the bottom. And then I like take off the hardest thing, and he's like, have a good day. And he disappears. <laughs> My friend's like, We've been up here all day. We haven't seen anybody. When did that guy get up on top of the tiny rock with us? You know, the Bible says that sometimes angels come and minister to humans. I don't know. I don't know. And when we find ourselves in these places where there are dire circumstances around a lot of corners and there's a lot of voices telling us what to do, it's very important that we listen to the right one. And the hope is that a voice of wisdom will pierce through the noise it says, do this, and it just makes sense. Follow me, it just makes sense. Grab my hand, put on this rope, trust me, and it just makes sense. And that's the voice that John is trying to assert as he writes this entire letter to these, to these churches of people. So I know you're hearing all these voices. Right? Today, if you're hearing all these voices, all these opinions, all these thoughts about Christianity, John's saying to you, listen to my voice. I'll lead you to Jesus. I'll take you down the right path. Don't listen to all these crazy voices. Listen to my voice. Trust me. Don't jump. <laughs> Here's a rope. Grab it. I'll take you to safety. And we read these words from John. And, and it's beautiful to think that, that he wants to extend a lifeline to us. And yet at the end of the day, 
sometimes it's hard to know what that lifeline looks like. You know, how, how do you know what he's really asking you to do? You know, even the, yeah, I'm going to trust the Bible. What does that mean? Everyone says they believe the Bible. John says, oh, tr- trust me, follow me to life. How do we know which are John's words and which are your friend perverting John's words? How do we know what he's really saying to us? John draws out throughout this entire book, this is kind of where we'll go with a lot of our content for the next eight weeks, but even this first chapter, he draws out, hey, let, let me just give you three self-examination tests that you can go through to discern where you stand with God. You know, and it's kind of scary. It's kind of like, have you ever been on WebMD before? Like, you have, like your side hurts, like, oh, I should go on WebMD. And it's like, you have Ebola, you're going to die. <laughs> I knew it. And yet the reason you're on WebMD and not at a real doctor's office is because you're terrified that a real doctor is going to tell you that you have Ebola and you're going to die. So it's hard to hear truth, but sometimes we need to hear it. As John starts to assert this lifeline towards his audience, he says, let let me give you three tests that you can apply to yourself to find out if you're really a Christian or not. And he brings them out here in chapter one and chapter two. He brings them out again throughout the book and so I want to start our series just at, at a place to say, hey, state of the union, where are you at with God? You're claiming you know him. You're not really sure. Are, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? And so here's the questions. Question number one that John brings us. Do you believe in the real Jesus? The verse that, that he draws it out in in chapter one is verse 6. He says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Do you know the real Jesus? And he moves on from there as he starts describing what it means to know the real Jesus, to be walking in the light, to not be in a deceitful theological state. He says, Do you know that you're a sinner? It's because if you claim you're not a sinner, you're lying about that. Do you, do you understand that you're a sinner? And yet do you know that, that you shouldn't just live however you want, that God has died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, And that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to to cleanse you of your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. Do you know that? If if you know that, if you're walking in that, if you understand that the God of the universe sent his son for you to save you from your sin, and, and that's the Jesus you worship, you're probably a Christian. That's what Christians do. That's what they believe. But if you think you're not a sinner, or you think God doesn't care about how you live, or you don't realize that Jesus came from heaven to save you, you're... You're not a Christian. That's non-negotiable. Do you believe in the real Jesus? The second question he asks is, do you live like Jesus lived? Do you do the things that he says? This is chapter 2, verse 3. It says, we know we've come to know him if we keep his commands. It says later, anyone who claims to know Jesus must live as Jesus lived. And so... If you or someone you know is claiming to be a Christ follower, but their life looks nothing like Jesus' life, then you should ask, are they lying when they say, I'm a Christian? Because Christians live like Jesus. Do you believe in the real Jesus? Do you live like he lived? And lastly, he asks, do you love like Jesus loved? This is chapter 2, verse 9. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. According to John, you can't say, I love Jesus, I just hate Christians. Because if you've truly been transformed by Jesus, you you love what Jesus loves. You love the church of Jesus. You love the people of Jesus. You love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what 
a Christian does is they have this deep love for God, this love for neighbor, this love for the family of God. And so he says, hey, if you believe in the real Jesus and you're living like him and you love these people, you're probably one of us. And yet the fear is for those of us who are like, I don't know if I could answer yes to all three. I don't like a lot of people. <laughs> My life doesn't really look like Jesus. I'm not sure if what I believe about him is right. And so it's easy to start to wrestle with, am I missing something? And there's a chance that the reason that you're here today is because God wants you to wrestle with that because you're missing something. Because you haven't been transformed. Your heart has not been warmed and, and regenerated. You haven't exerted faith in Jesus. He hasn't changed out your heart of stone or the heart of flesh. And so you still hate people. You still are living in sin. You don't know who Jesus is. And maybe today is the day to start the journey with Jesus. But that's not why John is writing the epistle. John's writing the epistle to people that he knows believes the truth somewhere deep inside. And he's saying, follow these teachings to find life and assurance and confidence. I love how he puts it in, in verse 8. He says, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Jesus and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John says, there's coming a day when the clouds that are over your life will start to part. I can see the light is emerging on you even as you read these words. I know that deep inside you is embedded the seed of the gospel and it will start to grow if you learn how to cut out the weeds of all these crazy thoughts that are coming at you. I know the truth is in you. John says, the invitation is to walk in it, to come with me. Right, John's the, the man who comes out in this sketch in the forest of a third pathway with a light and says, follow me, guys. This is the way back home. So I know the truth is in you, and it will become plain if you follow me towards life. Now, the question for us is, will we follow John's words and find life in them? Over these next seven weeks after this week, we're going to talk through what, what these assertions mean. What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to live like Jesus lived? What does it mean to love like Jesus loved? We're going to learn how to do what John says and trust the spirit that he has placed inside those of us who know him and find truth from the spirit. John says, you don't need anyone new to teach you. You've got the spirit of God in you. But how do you do that? We're going to learn how to walk in confidence, the confidence in the faith that we have believed in and that we have believed on for 2,000 years. How do we walk in the truth that the apostles laid down and walk strongly and surely down the pathway of life, not listening to crazy people who are trying to keep us down because we know the essentials of what we believe and we know that God is able to guard what he's entrusted in us until the day he comes for us. You know, maybe you've listened to some bad voices in the past. Now, I have. I didn't jump off that one cliff, but I did spend the night with a guy who didn't want to build a shelter. I remember his words. He said, he like spiritualized it. I was a Christian. He wasn't, so he was trying to like push my buttons. He's like, Danny, we need to, we need to sleep tonight under God's stars. <laughs> and then he finds these like, this place where this, this one rock cliff came this way, this one rock cliff came this way, and there was a little like four-foot lane in the middle. He said, look, it's like we're sleeping in God's hand. It was God's wind tunnel, not God's hand. <laughs> Man, I've never been so cold. It's like sleeping under God's stars in my shorts and sweatshirt in God's wind tunnel. 
chattering my teeth, freezing to death. And I remember I, I heard a voice. It wasn't a Scottish voice, and it wasn't God's voice. It was my friend David's voice. And it was like 2 in the morning. He's like, Danny, you okay? I'm like, I'm freezing, man. He said, come on in with us. And so I like crawl out of God's hand and and I go into the shelter. It's kind of like the Shire. You know, there's a little like thing. They have this little like hut in these trees and they welcome me in. And, and I know this isn't true, but I picture that they're like sitting there around a little fire drinking hot chocolate. I don't think that's what happened, but I just have this picture. It's like all light in there and it's warm and they're just chatting and playing cards. And like, what is this place? Like, it's our shelter. We built it. You're welcome to spend the night here. I'm like, this is amazing. I laid down, I got warm and I survived. <laughs> And that's the invitation that John gives in this whole book is I'm part of a community with the apostles and everyone who's believed in Jesus for thousands of years at this point. You're welcome to join us. Now you can listen to all these new teachers. You can listen to all this new theology. You can listen to all these new opinions about Christianity. You can listen to your neighbor, your roommate, friend at work. Sure. John says, oh, you can listen to me. It's warm in here. Come on in. Come inside. Take this road less traveled. And it will make all the difference. This morning as we close, I'd love to, to read over you the, the comfort that he gives to this church as he assures them, hey, I know the truth is in you. Walk in it. So let's bow our heads together and let me read over you 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. John says, I'm writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. 